Hello everyone, welcome back to Holding Fast to Faith. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and today we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation, and we're in Revelation chapter 14 today. So if you don't have your Bible, pause the podcast. You're going to want to use it today. Uh, Run, get your Bible, come back and join us in Revelation chapter 14. I'm continuing in the King James Version with the uh, strong concordance and the lexicon. So uh, I I do want to tell you today, this chapter jumps around the timeline a lot. So uh, be certain not to try to make this one come out in any chronological order. It's, It's providing some short recaps of multiple visions and occurrences and um, throughout Revelation, Jesus is providing a lot of a lot of what you might call his verily, verily moments is how I put it. In other words, if it's really important to remember, you're going to hear it a second time. So you, you've heard some of the stories in the previous chapters and they're being reminded, uh, we're being reminded in some of these things with just a little different twist. So it's like if, if you tell a story and then they take it and go tell one of their friends and, and they share the story, it's, it's the same information. It gets the same point across, but it's not always used in, used in the exact same word. So there's some, verily, verily, there's some repeated in here and it's, it's not, uh, completely in a timeline. So, uh, it's it's just like one of those previous chapters that we had where we just get reminded of a lot of things. So um, in this chapter, we hear several things repeated with just a little different approach to it. So let's dive right in. Chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, and I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. Now this is I looked, that is John. Uh, Jesus is showing John these visions. So we got to remember, this is John. When you say, I looked, it was John seeing it. He says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now we we uh, looked at the 144,000 and it's one of the first in the past chapters about the uh, 12 tribes of Israel and where they came from. And we're going to get some more information out of this 144,000 in this chapter. So just hang in there. But this word Sion, uh, S-I-O-N in, uh, in the uh, uh, King James Version is uh, Zion. Uh, as we've heard the the word Zion a lot uh, mentioned in songs and in the Bible, things like that. It's Strong's G forty six twenty two Sion. It's a parched place, is what it what its definition is. But it's the hill on which the higher and more ancient part of Jerusalem was built, the southwesternmost and highest of the hills on which the city was built. It's often used of the entire city of Jerusalem. So he's talking about Jerusalem here and the 144,000 is in Jerusalem. So since Jerusalem, um, because the temple stood there, it's called the dwelling place of God. So we we see this Zion as the dwelling place of God, Jerusalem. Jesus is there, the Lamb of God, with the hand-picked 144,000. And we're going to see some more about these 144,000 here in just a second. Let's look at verse number two. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters 
and as the voice of a great thunder. Now, we've, we've seen in many different chapters here, and we've seen this translated uh, as with the voice of many waters and the voice of great thunder, God's voice going out in many directions. His, his voice speaks in many languages. It speaks to everybody. If he's speaking to all creation, uh, as his voice is moving forth, creation trembles and thunder happens and thing, things like that. So we are seeing this as God speaking, and it says, I heard the voice from heaven, just like many waters, a crowd, and voice of great thunder. But it also says, I heard the voice of some harpers harping as well with their harps. So there's there's music going on in heaven. And we established both these, uh, this voice of many waters and great thunders as uh, as God's voice earlier in the book of Revelation. But look at verse number three. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the beast and the elders. So we hear the harpers harping and there's voice of many waters. Another place uh, we see that the voice of many waters, waters represents a crowd of people. Uh, in some places, waters represents chaos of many people, but here it also represents a crowd of people. So a voice from heaven and a voice of great thunder, God is speaking and possibly here the voice of many waters could be the entire inhabitants of heaven here, but they sung as it was a new song before the throne with harpers harping with their harps and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song except for that 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, I've heard the 144,000 is God's established government of Israel and his kingdom. And we saw them around the throne earlier in earlier chapters. And now they're on the hill of Zion with Jesus, which is a picture of Jesus establishing his kingdom on the earth. And he started it in Israel and he also finishes it in Israel. These first three verses, they, they kind of picture the inauguration of the kingdom along with the fourth and fifth verses that explain more about the 144,000. So let's read on to the 144,000 here in verse four. These are they which are not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whether so he goeth. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. They are without fault before the throne. So, so we see that these 144,000 that was handpicked out of the 12 tribes of Israel, except for Dan. We, we read in one of the earlier chapters, if you've been listening in on all of these Revelation studies, that uh, Dan was not included because of some uh, evil uh, worship and things like that and some false gods. And so uh, there's the hand-picked 144,000 just seems to be right here in these two verses, verse four and five, as God shows that they were virgins out of the tribes and they were people who were pure and they were people that had no guile in their mouth. They didn't speak any evil things. They didn't talk bad about people. They didn't lie. They didn't cheat. They didn't steal. They had no fault before the throne of God and and he's, they've been hand-picked to be part of the government and the establishment of God setting up his kingdom on the earth. And also you can reference Revelation chapter 7 verses 4 through 8 where the 144,000 of the tribes of Israel were handpicked there. If you want to pause and go back and read that in, in our chapter 7 or go back and listen to the podcast for chapter 7. But uh, 
Look at verse number six, and he says, I saw another angel, another messenger, fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now that midst of heaven, that phrase is the Greek word, misorename. Uh, and, and again, I may not be getting that exactly right, but it's misorename. Strong's G3321, if you want to look it up, it means the place where the sun occupies at noon, which is where where everything that is done can be seen and everything that is, is said can be heard by all. So uh, this, this messenger was in the highest place of the sky so that everybody could see it and hear it all at the same time. And he was saying with a loud voice there in verse number seven, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the water. So the, he is saying here, this angel is, is telling the whole world to give glory to God. His hour of judgment has come upon the earth and, and worship him. He, he's created the heavens. He's created the earth. He's created the sea and the fountains of water. So this messenger, this angel of God, is, is telling the whole world, all mankind that can hear and see that God needs to be the one you're worshiping. And, and look, the tribulation period uh, is about to tear out in full swing here. The people who are in it, survive it, live through it, was born in the midst of it, etc., are receiving the gospel message from one of God's messengers. And next, here in verse 8, another angel comes in and explains that Jesus is the one that's taken control and man's system of power is over at this point in time. Look at verse number 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, we have also seen in uh, the word Babylon used. It's the Greek word Babylone. It's Strong's G897. It means confusion. It, the, remember, the, the book of Revelation talks a lot uh, about just some literary terms and some some personification and all these different things. So uh, there's there's lots of literary tools being used here. And uh, if you remember a few chapters back, we saw Jesus called Jerusalem Babylon in a spiritual sense. He didn't say it was the actual city, but he was saying it became a city of confusion. Why? Because of their confusion of who the Messiah is, because of their confusion of who they were supposed to be serving and who they were supposed to believe and what faith they were going to follow. And, and Jesus called them a city of confusion just a few chapters back, but he also called satanic activity Babylon. So Israel's confused spiritual status, anyone living out satanic activity, and all those that are following spirits of confusion as to who they should be serving and worshiping, they all have fallen, and Jesus Christ has the power and control now. He's the one that has taken over the earth. You remember a couple chapters back where it says Jesus Christ now has taken back the earth. He's the one in control. Verse number nine and 10 are from another of God's messengers as a warning about serving the beast. So not only is God in control, not only is he uh, causing everything to happen as a purpose and for his will on this earth to get people to turn back to Jesus Christ or to turn to him for the first time, 
He's letting them know that he's in control and he sends another angel to warn about following the beast and serving him. Look in verse nine, he says, and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Now we've learned just last week, uh, the last podcast about Revelation, about the mark, the number of the mark and the name, all of those that mean the same thing. Look at verse number 10. The same person who worships the beast and worship his image and receives his mark into his forehead or in his hand, that very same person will drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, First off, I want to teach that word without mixture, that phrase there, that Strong's G194, it's akaratos, it means not diluted. You, you're going to get it all. It's, it's pure, absolute wrath of God. And that word indignation is his anger, wrath, and punishment. So the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God. Remember when Jesus was standing in the garden of Gethsemane uh, as he was knowing he was about to be persecuted and crucified, he said, if this, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, giving the uh, picture that whatever I'm about to go through, I'm going to have to drink. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a literary, it's a literary phrase that you're going to drink that cup means you're going to go through something. You're going to partake of that. And they're saying here that those that are going to drink the cup of God's wrath is going to take on a pure mixture, 100%, not not anything diluted. They're going to get all of God's anger, all of God's wrath, and all of God's punishment for worshiping the beast, for taking his mark, and for, for letting the beast be the one to rule their life. So look at verse number 11. It says the smoke of those people's torment ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I want to tell you about this verse right here. It, it tells you clearly mixed with the one that's up there at number 10, the last part of number 10. It says those that drink of the wrath of God that's taking, uh, that's worshiping the beast, they're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, everybody's going to watch them burn and be tormented. And verse number 11 says that the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they'll never have any rest who worship the beast. So it's saying that this is not going to end. If you take the mark of the beast, if you worship the enemy, if you worship Satan, if you worship the Antichrist, if you take his mark, the punishment is eternal. It is never going to end. This verse reiterates the eternal fire of hell for everyone receiving the mark and worshiping the beast and not worshiping God. That's why the angel of the Lord was sent to say before all this, worship God and God alone. Do not worship the beast. Do not fall for his tactics. Worship Jesus Christ. Pay attention to what's going on. Now verse 12 and verse 13 tells of all those who were steadfast through the tribulation and didn't fall for the trickery of the beast. So it says here in verse 12, here is the patience. Now that word 
Patience in the Greek concordance is a word that means stand uh, to be steadfast and enduring. So it says here is the steadfastness and the endurance of the saints is what he's saying. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So it's saying that these people that's in the middle of the tribulation, that's seeing the beast, that's seeing the antichrist, seeing the mark go around and the threats and the things going on, but they remain steadfast. They, the shaking of the world, the fire falling down, the beast and the darkness and the bloody water and all the things that have already taken place. These people have found out who Jesus Christ is. They've put their trust in him even though they missed the rapture. They they realized what they've messed up on and they've taken this one last ditch effort to say, I worship you, Jesus. I realize that you are the real King of kings and Lord of lords and they stay steadfast through all the rest of this tribulation and they keep his commandments and they keep their faith in Jesus Christ and verse number 13 tells what their patience and steadfastness and enduring these, these hardships receives them. So verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, we had a uh, discipleship class talking about the uh, the the rest, the Sabbath rest, and, and, and with rest, uh, the rewards of rest, the, the rewards of your works follow you. So rest and rewards are kind of tied hand in hand with God. And verse 13 is saying, he heard a voice from heaven. John heard a voice from heaven telling him to write this down. Those who die in the Lord from henceforth will have my rest. They will rest from labors. They will rest from holding steadfast and enduring these hardships and their reward will be with them. So those in the tribulation who've been steadfast and endured the Antichrist and is still living, Jesus is saying if the Antichrist, the beast, kills you now, then you will be blessed and given God's rest, which uh, which we know that that includes some reward as well. And verse 14 begins telling of the rapture of the church. And, and it's, it's just another recap to show that he, it says, I looked and behold a white cloud upon the cloud, one set, us, one set on that cloud that looked like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and a hand in his hand a sharp sickle. <clears throat> And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now Jesus is the one, the, the man, the son of God with a sickle. He's given a, a, a literary picture here of Jesus reaping a harvest. So he's got a sickle. They're saying, I've told you for years that when my word is sown into your heart and you let my word root and bring forth the harvest that it is, the harvest of the earth is ripe. My people are ready that he harvest them. This is a picture of the rapture. Verse number 16 says, that he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle onto the earth and the earth was reaped. Just like Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 said, a loud voice from Jesus Christ stood in front of the door of heaven and said, come up here. He has reaped the people 
and brought them into the kingdom of heaven. And now the next angel or messenger is also reaping, but he's doing something different. And this is something that we really need to look at because it says another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire and cried out loudly to that angel with the sharp sickle, saying, thrust your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So this is a picture of the vine of the earth, the, the fruits of the earth, the fruits of the flesh. And this angel that's got power over fire is telling the angel with the sickle, go ahead and thrust your sickle into the earth and gather the fruits of the earth, fruits of mankind. And it, and it says in verse 19, the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. You notice it, it didn't say I got the cluster here. It, 19 doesn't say that it picked the fruit. 19 doesn't say that it just got the cluster. 19 says it got the vine of the earth and cast it into the great wine press of the wrath of God, the great tribulation. And that, that wine press it is the wrath. It's believed to be the battle in and around Jezreel Valley, which becomes the battle of Armageddon. And, and that's what verse number 20 is talking about here because verse number 20 says the wine press was trodden without the city, all everything outside the city, and blood came out of the wine press even under the horse's bridles by a space of 1,600 furlongs. Now, 1,600 furlongs is right at 200 miles, and a furlong is 660 feet, and, and uh, 1,600 furlongs times 660 feet is 1,056,001 feet. That come, and, and we know that 5,280 feet makes a mile. So if you take that 1,056,001 feet, divide it by 5,280 feet, you come up with 200 miles. Now, this, this is showing us that there's about 200 square miles of area that, that this is blood is going to be flowing up to the horse's bridle and the, the battle of wrath, the battle of indignation and, and punishment is God drawing those people of Babylon, those people of confusion into this valley for a final press from God, one final squeeze on mankind against their idolatry, against their lust, against their sins and against their rebellion of God and, and against the rebellion of his word and God's wrath will cause blood to flow up to the horse's bridle and this bloodbath of a battle will cover an area 200 miles of area. Why? Because God purged the earth of sin once before in the times of Noah. And he even talked about, even in like the days of the times of Noah, that the end will come and it will be just like that. And he's purging the earth from sin again. Uh, he gave provision to deal with sin as a final payment through Jesus Christ and, and mankind ignored that gift as well. So God is purging sin from his planet again just as he said he would do. There, there's no surprise here. There's, there's no reason for people to say, oh, this, this ain't been, we ain't been warned. There's no, there's misrepresentation here. No, God gave his word and he's going to keep his word. Sin will be totally terminated. And if you 
you choose for it not to be through Jesus Christ, God will fix sin his way. He, he, he purges sin with fire. He, he purges sin with blood. There is a sacrifice to pay. Blood has to be shed as the payment of sin. One way or the other, if you choose to keep your sin, your blood will be shed. If you choose to let the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ be the blood shed for your sin, you have had your payment for sin paid for now and you can rest in Jesus Christ knowing that you're paid in full and you don't have to pay the price for your sins anymore. But if you don't turn to Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins, then God will terminate all unrighteousness by purging it in the final wine press and causing blood to flow. And that's what this whole verse right here is about. You need to understand today if you're listening to me that all these things are going to happen. God keeps reminding. Jesus Christ is speaking over and over and over, reminding us of events to let us know the things that are coming to those who continually ignore Jesus Christ, ignore his word, ignore his grace, and won't take part in the unmerited favor that he gave every living human being on this planet that has ever been born or will ever live. He has given every single one of those people the choice to receive his punishment on the cross as their punishment of the sin that they have lived in and that they've created in themselves. And if you don't take his payment for sin, then you have to pay for it yourself with your own life, with your own blood. And it's an eternal payment. Just like you said earlier, that the smoke from their, from their torment is eternal. It never goes away. The fire of torment and God's indignation is wrath poured upon you and the fires of hell will never go away. The only way to get away from that is to choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only way to get away from that is to let Jesus Christ be Lord over your life, accept his payment on the cross of Calvary. His nails in his hands were your nails. If you accept that, that he, he shed his blood for you so that you wouldn't have to shed your blood for your own sins. That's the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will get to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is your only way. And if you don't believe that, if you won't receive that, if you will not partake of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you, then you are going to face these things that are written and foretold in the book of Revelation. I want to pray with you today because if you're listening to this message, if God is speaking to your heart and he's telling you that you need to change your life while you still have a chance, we are living in a world where we know that we just we don't even have minutes left sometimes. It seems like the rapture would take place at any second. You don't know when the last moment on this earth is and this, this tribulation period starts. You don't want to be here for the things that we have studied over thus far. You don't want to be part of that. You don't want to have to experience those things. And you can avoid every bit of it if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you to do that today because the Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for you, that he died your death, he went to the grave, he was rose again on the, three, on the third day, God quickened his body and raised him from the grave, and he is now sitting in heavenly places interceding for you and me. If you will confess your sins before the Lord and receive 
receive Jesus Christ as your punishment for sins and let him be Lord over your life. Begin to follow his word. Begin to serve him and listen to him and follow his law and his guidance and let him be the leader of your life that you will have eternal life in him and you will avoid all these things that we've been talking about up this far. Let me pray with you. Repeat after me. Pray this prayer. You don't have to say it exactly like me. You just need to realize that if your heart is being tugged by the Holy Spirit, that you need to pray a prayer, something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior, and you are the only Savior that can save me. I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord over my life. I believe that you are the sacrifice for my sins. I believe that God the Father raised you from the dead on the third day and you are my Lord and Savior. And I believe right now that you've come into my heart. I receive you through faith in you that you have saved me, that I've been delivered from my sins, that my price has been paid through your blood. And according to your word, right now I am saved. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed a prayer like that, you felt the tugging of God pulling on your heart. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling you that you need to change your ways. And if you've prayed that prayer under God's conviction, I know that I know that I know that all heaven is rejoicing right now because you've made that choice. Email us, call us, tell us, let us know that you have received Jesus Christ. Find yourself a Bible-believing church. Get in the church and begin to study God's word, worship him with like-minded believers and become part of the body of Christ and be ready and waiting, having your lamp filled and lit and ready to go when Jesus calls us home. Amen. God bless you. I pray that this has helped you so much and we look forward to you tuning in from now on and we will see you on the next one.